Lord, thank you that you abide with us, that you draw us close to you, that you love us, that you allow us, God, to live in your presence by your Holy Spirit. As we seek you in your word tonight, I pray that we would hear your voice and that you would draw us closer and closer to you. Guide us, Lord, and fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we already know, because this started way back in the book of, uh, it was either Numbers or Deuteronomy, that, uh, I should know that, we studied it recently-ish, that Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. Moses and then Joshua agreed to this as long as they went with the rest of Israel to conquer their inheritance. Uh, last week, we talked about that, although it, it was a bit brief because uh, we didn't look at all the borders and, and city names and whatnot, um, that the land is now basically conquered. There were some areas left unconquered. He is uh, going to remind them of that. But that means that Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh uh, have fulfilled their oath to fight alongside their brethren until they had rest. And so this took... So essentially, when we get into Jericho, which was chapter 6, um, up through where we ended last week, chapter 21, the division of the land, was somewhere around five to seven years. Uh, you know, we went through it a little more quickly than that. I know you're surprised, uh, but give or take five, or seven, five to seven years. And now Joshua basically tells them they can go home because they fulfilled their oath. That's where we pick up in chapter 22. And Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not left the, your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now... The Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised. Now, therefore, return and go to your tents into the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on, the side, on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with, ever, with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So Joshua basically tells them, go home, take all the spoils divided among the brethren uh, as you fulfilled your vow. I do find it, I, I can't help but think back to Achan. Right? They were made wealthy in conquering this land. 
Achan just, just had to wait till the next city. And I know we talked about that after Jericho. They went to Ai, where they were allowed to keep the spoil. He, he just had to wait a few days. Just a few days. But oh no. I love verse 5. Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So first take heed. To what? Well, to the word of God. Listen to what the Bible is telling you. Then, love the Lord your God. Then, walk in all his ways, which is really interesting. I'm reading a, a really good book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm almost done with it. I know I've mentioned it before. It's taking me a little while. It's one of those books that I spend some time thinking between chapters. Um, and, you know, we talk about walking with the Lord and walking in his ways. Uh, but if you uh, take a careful look at the Gospels and look at the way Jesus lived, and then compare it to our lives, there's a few differences. Probably more than a few. Uh, which is, it's really challenged me. Uh, and it's not that I'm in some, you know, particularly egregious sin, or, or, or I veered off the path into some great disobedience. It's just reading this book and looking at the way Jesus lived his life, uh, there's definitely some things in my life that uh, he wants to work on. But walk in all his ways, keep his commandments, right? So listen to the word, love the Lord, walk in his ways, obey what he's commanded you, hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I think that's uh, probably a really good charge to all of us. So we get to verse 10. Oh, a minor misunderstanding. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, I'm going to stop reading that every time, have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. Verse 12, And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Um, but maybe, talk to them first. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into that. But they apparently built this impressive altar on Israel's side of the Jordan, so on the east side of the Jordan, before they crossed over. So we get to verse 13. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, and Gilead. And with him, ten rulers, one ruler, each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. They came to the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, 
to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with him, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. Notice that they didn't pray first. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. They didn't pray first, because otherwise they might be saying, Thus says the Lord. No, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the land. Remember, uh, Peor was when Balaam or Balak hired Balaam to curse them. And when that didn't work, they sent temple prostitutes in among them to get them to commit sexual immorality. And uh, what was it, 13,000 people died? Something like that. Uh, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed things and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So Phineas, the son of the high priest, this is Aaron's grandson, he goes over with the heads of each of the tribes and he goes, guys, what are you doing? Why are you rebelling? Don't you remember what happened at Peor? Right? If the land is no good, come over to our side. There's plenty of land over here. Don't you remember Achan? Right? He sinned. God punished the whole congregation. If you're sinning, how long before God punishes all of us? So they sort of jumped to a bit of a conclusion here, didn't they? Ready to go to war. What's the problem? Well, one I already mentioned. We have no record of them praying. We have no record of the children of Israel seeking God. Hey, are Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, are they off their rock, or do we need to deal with this? Right? We see nothing of the sort. Second, they were clearly missing information, which we're about to find out. We need to wait, of course, until we have all the facts before we jump to conclusions. If their, if their suspicions were true, then they would be right to be concerned. However, they didn't know the motives of these two and a half tribes, and they needed to find out before they passed judgment. Maybe it looked bad. That was, of course, until the other tribes answered. In Proverbs 18, 17, it says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. You ever been in that place where you, you heard one side of the story? And boy, it sure sounded right. It sure said, oh man, yeah. You know, Bob is clearly right in this matter. Until Fred comes along and goes, oh, so that's what Bob told you. Did Bob tell you that he did this, that, and the other thing first? Bob, how dare you? How dare you treat Fred that way? Fred had every right to be upset about it. The first one who pleads his cause seems right. Until his neighbor comes and examine him. I love the answer here that we're going to pick up on in verse 21. It begins, then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, 
and half the tribe of Manasseh, answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord, God of gods. Now notice, Lord is all capitals, so Jehovah. Jehovah, God of gods. Jehovah, God of gods. Or Yahweh, depending on how you interpret that. He knows. And let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, your children of Reuben and Gad, and you have no part with the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings, nor for a sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices and our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in Yahweh. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. So, I love this. Jehovah God of gods, or Yahweh God of gods, he knows. Let Israel know itself. If we've done something wrong, let God come after us. But here's the deal. We were afraid that at some point in time in the future, your kids would look at our kids and say, oh, you got the Jordan between us. You've got nothing to do with God. You can't come over here and sacrifice. You can't participate in our festivals. You No. So they said, so we built this as a witness, as a memorial, so that that wouldn't happen. So in verse 30, when Phineas, the priest, and all the rulers of the congregation, uh, when they heard the words of the children of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, no, we, we, we got you. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas and Eleazar and the priests and rulers returned from the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So this thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Um, something kind of interesting to note is that at some point in time, and I don't know if it's in the book of Judges or a little later in history, we'll, we'll get there as we move, continue to move through the Bible. Eventually, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh on the western side of the Jordan, well, they move over. They don't, they don't stay over there. Uh, they realized it was a bad idea. They're nowhere near as well protected as if they were surrounded by their brethren, that the Jordan River is a border. 
Um, so eventually they do kind of, they come back. Um, but this explanation that they give that satisfied the delegation that went over to talk to them, and therefore they named the altar Ed. Ed is the Hebrew word for witness, E-D, Ed. Uh, for it was to be a witness between all of Israel that the Lord is God. So, you know, you guys have nothing to do with this. Ed will tell you differently. Talking horse. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, unless, of course, the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. <laughs> You, well, you forgot the second half of the song. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. I don't know why I know that song. That show was out 20, 30 years before I was born. Uh, Mr. I remember Mr. Ed, though. I remember I probably saw reruns or something. Chapter 23. Now, in chapter 23 and chapter 24, we will see Joshua's farewell speech. It's kind of a two-parter. Chapter 23 is his speech to the elders of Israel. Chapter 24 is his farewell speech to all of Israel. So we're going to read chapter 23 in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it a bit, and then we'll move forward in chapter 24. Now it came to pass... A long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua, now he was an old, advanced in age when they were dividing the land, so now he must be really old and advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. How old do you have to be to say that? I mean, we're about to find out that Joshua's 110. Uh, well, when we get to the end of chapter 24, anyway. Uh, do you have to be uh, in triple digits to be able to say, I am old, advanced in age? Or can you say that at 45? Is that all right? <laughs> I'm not allowed to say it at 45. Okay. Well, you guys pray on that. Tell me what that age is. Verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, that these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish 
from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So Joshua begins his farewell speech, exhorting the elders of the people, the, calling the heads of the tribes, the judges, the officers, and so forth. Uh, we don't know the exact amount of time that's passed. So we know that the conquering of the land, right, somewhere between five and seven years. Um, I, I saw in one place that it was suggested that this would have been eight to ten years since the division of the land. So between uh, chapter 22 and 23, eight to ten years or so. Not exactly sure. It's interesting, and I just want to point this out. Uh, I don't have all the references. I, I didn't feel that motivated. Um, <laughs> But a good portion of Joshua's farewell speech, both here and in chapter 24, uh, he actually quotes Deuteronomy. A bunch of it comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, so let's, let's kind of unpack this a bit. Uh, the land is given to you. Expel the people that are still here. That's the first thing he says to them. So they still had not done what they were supposed to do when getting rid of the inhabitants of the land. Eight to ten years later remember delayed obedience is still disobedience and we don't like to think of that right god wants us to do something well i'll do it when i get to this place in my life or i'll do it when i've got this much money or i'll do it when such and such takes place nope if god told you to do it do it let me encourage you if god told you to do it do it do it now Right? If God told you to have a conversation with somebody, have that conversation. If God told you to get rid of something in your life, get rid of it. Uh, trust that his Holy Spirit is going to give you the strength and power to do so. But don't go, yeah, I'll do it in a year. I'll do it in six months. I'll do it. I'll make, it'll be my New Year's resolution. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And when we get into the book of Judges next week, we're going to see the consequences of their failure. We're going to see it clear as day. He tells them to be courageous and keep the word. Go and take what they were given, uh, which would have been obedience to the word of God. Have nothing to do with their false gods or their idols. Do not allow any polluting influence among you, not by marriage, not by letting them stay in the land. Just don't do it. We're told in First, first or Second Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character. And, and if uh, we're told by Jesus, and, and uh, I know it's repeated multiple times throughout the, the New Testament, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You let a little bit in, it's going to have disastrous consequences. Whatever it might be, sin, disobedience, failure to be obedient, whatever it might be. 
But he goes on and he warns them of what's going to happen if they don't get rid of these people. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. He says, hold to the Lord who has made them strong because he fights for them. I felt the need to point out that we can only hold on to the Lord uh, because he holds on to us. Jesus told us in John 10, 27 to 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. You see, yeah, we, we hold on to the Lord. We, we should. But the only reason we can successfully hold on to the Lord, well, it's because he won't let go of us. He tells them, have nothing to do with the people of the land. They will become a snare to you. Uh, Ephesians 5.11 tells us, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Right? We, we shouldn't toy with it. We shouldn't play with it. I was listening to a message uh, about, um, actually it was called Three Keys to Avoiding Temptation. For some reason, I can only remember key one and key three. I've got it written down. The, the whole point I'm trying to make, though, is the first key is move the line, which I think is an interesting key. Right? Because we, we, we sure like to do that. You ever, you, you ever been to the ocean? Right? And you, you go right down, and the waves come in, and then you run back, and you go down, and the wave come in, and you, you run back. Right? You just keep seeing how close you can get before the wave gets you. Do you have any idea? I mean, if you're going swimming, that's fine, but how dumb that is if we do it with sin. That, you know, I know I clearly see the line, right? It's right over there. Let's, uh, you know, I'm going to go look at that line. I'm going to see, I'm going to see, well, you know, the other side of the line looks a little messy. I'm not, I'm not going to go over there, but boy, I'm sure going to look at it. You know, if, if you want to stay dry at the beach, you stay in the parking lot. You don't see how close you can get to the water. If you want to stay away from sin, this is good for all of us. Move the line, right? Don't, don't see how close you can get to the line. Pull that line way, way, way back. That way when you get to the line, you're still nowhere near something you shouldn't be close to. He exhorts them to love the Lord. In the next chapter, he will exhort them to serve the Lord. Loving the Lord means having nothing to do with the polluting influences, the false gods, or, or the people of this land. That's what he's telling them. Stay away from it. Serving the Lord follows loving the Lord. And service should always be motivated by love. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ compels us. And this is the mark of a willing servant of Christ. If there's some other motivation besides love, well, then you've got to check your heart. It doesn't mean you shouldn't serve. It means you should figure out what's going on in your heart and get it right before God. Because we should be serving people because we love them. Joshua says, I'm about to die. You know in all your heart and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one word has failed. And we talked about this a lot last week, that God will keep his word and his word will never fail. This is an awesome and wonderful promise for those of us who trust in him. 
At the same time, he said, when, not if, but when you go after these other gods, then all the bad things that he said are going to happen, those things are going to come upon you. You're going to be expelled from the land. There's consequences for these actions. So the promise that God will keep his word is wonderful for those of us who trust in him. It's terrible for those who have rejected his offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because you want to know what? Just like he promises salvation to those who believe, he also promises judgment to those who reject Christ. And that judgment will come. Israel apparently didn't believe Joshua. They didn't believe Moses. They didn't believe all the prophets that God sent to them. And they were expelled from the land for 1,900 years. Now, he promised to bring them back, and he did. We talked about that last week. But it just, it, oh. We were at breakfast this morning. I, you know, I have breakfast with a, a couple pastor friends of mine. And uh, had an interesting opportunity to share the gospel with our waitress. Uh, and, and so we did, and we shared it with her, and we, we shared it lovingly. And, uh, invited her to church and asked her, if she had any questions. And in the end, when asked, you know, well, do you, do you believe in Jesus? Do, would you be willing to, do you want to follow him in your life? Well, maybe. Up to a point was the response. Up to a point. And oh, it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. So I, I prayed for her. Holy Spirit can do wonderful things. Man, he reached, he reached the thief on the cross. He reached me. But it just, it just breaks my heart that people don't, they don't get what's coming. They don't get what's coming. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so we would never have to face it. We also will see the truth of this, of course, throughout the history of Israel. History, of course, from our perspective, from the perspective of those listening to Joshua, um, future. But of course they didn't listen. They didn't keep the covenant. And the result was, from our perspective, and will be from their perspective, their expulsion from the land. So it takes us to chapter 24. Verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And he called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel. Now that's kind of interesting. It's the first time Joshua's done that. Right? God has spoken to him. He's shared God's instruction. But this is the first time Joshua really takes on a prophetic role as the spokesman for God. Just thought I'd point that out. So he does a little rehearsing of Israel's history. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt in the land on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham. Notice I, because this is God speaking through Joshua. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. 
So Isaac gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and made, to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with the sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. I find this fascinating. He rehearses their history. Um, he does all of this from Shechem, right? He does it from the point of, of God, as God being the one who's speaking through Joshua. He does this in Shechem, which is really interesting, uh, because most recently we saw them in Shiloh doing official stuff. Now they're in Shechem. Uh, Shechem is where God first made the covenant with Abraham to give his descendants all of the land in Genesis 12.6. Shechem has several other uh, important things. Uh, this is where Jacob addressed his family to put away their idols in Genesis. This is where the blessings and cursings were pronounced on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We saw that a little earlier on. Uh, Shechem was an important place to the history of Israel and their covenant with God. Now I love verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. God is the one who did this, not them. He is the one who does everything for us, not ourselves. We talked about this in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Right? There's nothing in our lives that's not from him. Nothing good in our lives that's not from him. And I love the parallel here to salvation. Right? We're going to a home. We're going to study this when we get into Hebrews. We're going to a home. A city whose builder and maker is God. Not us. We're going to dwell there. In a city we didn't build, we're going to eat of the 12 trees that, that provide fruit for the healing of the nations in their season. One of them is going to grow, I believe, chicken fried steak. But we're going to eat produce that we didn't plant or cultivate or harvest. Right? That's all what's waiting for us. And we talked about this earlier on in Joshua, this beautiful picture of entering into all that God has for us. You know, guys, God has a land for which we didn't labor, cities which we didn't build, and a harvest 
which we didn't plan. You just got to go in and take it. He's already given it to you. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fear the Lord. Choose who you will serve. Serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. I like this. The word sincerity here means integrity and truth without blemish, complete, full, perfect, sound, without spot, undefiled, upright, and whole. Did you get all that? In other words, we, we don't serve him with part of our lives. We don't serve him when it's convenient. We don't serve him when it's easy or when it's comfortable. When do we serve him? Always. Always. Being motivated by love, of course. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes God asks me to do things. And love is not the first emotion that comes to mind. Sometimes God asks me to go here or talk to that person or do this thing or do that thing. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so excited. Yay me. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. But I have a desire. I'm not going to say I do it. I have a desire to give him everything. To give him everything that I am. To serve him at all times. I fail. I wish I didn't. But I do. But that's what we're called to. Sincerity and truth, which means stability, certainty, trustworthiness, and faithfulness. Serve him with all you are and do it faithfully. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, Our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of god and more abundantly toward you then he asks who will you serve you want to serve the gods on the other side of the river okay you want to serve the gods of the amorites from this land fine how would we ask that question you want to serve money you want to serve ple sorry, pleasure? Do you want to serve people? Do you want to serve relationships? Do you want to serve something else? These are the same things that they served. The only difference is, is they carved little statues out of them, and we don't typically do that anymore. What will you serve besides God? Because idolatry begins in our hearts. And anything we put ahead of God becomes an idol? Or will you choose to serve the one true God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was Joshua's choice. 
That was a choice my wife and I made many years ago. It's a choice I know many of you have made. It's a choice some of you will have to make. Either we follow Jesus or we don't. It's that simple. I was listening to uh, another message this week. And I was confronted with a, a startling truth. What we worry about is what we worship. Think about that. Because if we're worried about it, it's taking a priority in our mind, in our heart, in our lives. I didn't like that. <laughs> I wrote it down because I, I, I think there's a lot of truth in it. But I didn't like it. So do we worry about people? What they think of us? What they're going to say about us? Do we worry about money? I do. I'm just going to throw it. I do. I admit it. I wish I didn't. It doesn't do me any good. But I do worry about it. I worry about a lot of things. And I just need to lay them down at his cross. Well, he's not on the cross anymore. I need to lay them down at the throne of my king for whom not one thing that he's spoken of will ever fail. So we get to verse 16, and verse 16 through 28 is kind of interesting. The people are going to tell Joshua, yeah, we're going to serve him, and Joshua's like, wait a second. Are you sure? It's kind of how this goes. It's, it's interesting to me. Verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve our God, for the Lord is God. For the Lord our God is he who brought us, up, brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went from among, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We will also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. We are Ed. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua really likes his big stones. You ever notice that he, this is like the third time he's done this? And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness, this stone will be ed to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. I think this scene is so interesting to me. The people commit to serving the Lord, who had delivered them, recognizing his work on their behalf. 
Joshua warns them, nope. If you forsake him, if you worship these other gods, he's not going to forgive you. He's going to throw you out the land. They insist, no, we'll do it. He says, your witnesses against yourselves. Okay, we're witnesses against ourselves. We're going to do it. They should have read the book of Judges. So they insist. Joshua says, fine, put away the foreign gods. They say they'll do it. They say, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So he makes this covenant with them. He puts this down in the book of the law, which once again, we've already seen this, but that means that the first five books we've already studied were written down. He then sets up a stone of witness uh, against the people under a large oak and sends them on. We'll do it. We'll do it. Don't worry. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Next week, we're going to open up Judges chapter 1, and guess what? They didn't do it. That's what happens when we think we can do it in our own strength, when we think we can muster up enough self-control or willpower, and we can make it happen. No, we can't. God can. His power, His grace, through His Holy Spirit, instructed by His Word, He can do it. Ready? We've got four verses left. Oh, sorry, five verses. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, all right, we're not going to see Joshua for a while, so I've got to do it one last time. I didn't know nuns could have kids. Thank you. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. They buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elder who out, elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. The death of Joshua. 110 years old, folks. Israel remained faithful until this generation of leadership died out. And uh, we'll get into the book of Judges next week. You'll see it doesn't last long. They buried Joseph's bones in Israel, which I think is so cool. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph made his relatives promise to take his bones up out of Egypt. When they left Egypt in the book of Exodus, we're told that they took the bones of Joshua with them. Now we had 40 years, give or take, of wandering Seven, five to seven years to conquer the land, another eight to ten years before he died. So we're talking 60 plus years later, and they bury Joshua, or Joseph, sorry. They bury Joseph. Hebrews 11.25 tells us this was an act of faith. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And here we see that fulfilled. Eliezer dies. 
his son Phineas becomes the new high priest. We saw him in chapter 22 going down to talk to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. How could I forget that, right? I mean, it was like 20 minutes ago. Uh, so throughout the book of Joshua, as, as a bit of conclusion, we've seen the faithfulness of God. We've seen the faithfulness of God's word on behalf of the people. We have seen the promises of God fulfilled to the nation of Israel. What this, of course, sets up for us is the failure of Israel, which we will see begin to happen in the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Judges is very much a roller coaster, right? They don't behave. God sends consequences. They repent. God sends a judge, delivers them from the consequences. As long as that judge lives, they do well. That judge dies, and they go right back down again. Consequences, new judge, repentance, right? And it just goes over and over and over again. Not just throughout the book of Judges, but throughout Israel's history for the rest of the Bible. We'll start to look at that next week as we begin the book of Judges. Until then... What? What last line? Oh, the last slide. I forgot about the last slide. There's the people of Israel in vegetable form. Of course, that was when they were conquering Joshua, but you know, Jericho, that's what I said. Joshua, when he conquered Jericho. Yeah, I forgot about that slide, sorry. And we may have to put a VeggieTales slide up on a semi-weekly basis. Probably not. Until next week, let's pray. Father, please bless each of our lives. Help us to walk with you, to serve you, to follow you, to love you, to not waver in our faith or our commitment or our service to you. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. Overwhelm us with your love. Give us your grace and mercy and power as you hold on to us and as you help us to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ. And as you use us to share your love with the people around us, may you be glorified in all we do. May the love of Jesus be the driving force in our lives by the power of your spirit in us. In Jesus' name I pray.